Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Poet Billy Collins has said that he thinks a good poem often sort of takes you, it's like it takes you on a lovely drive through unfamiliar countryside and then kicks you to the curb and speeds off. In other words, he thinks a good poem should be both pleasurable and a bit disorienting. Well, Jesus does not offer us here a poem, but a parable. But it has some of the qualities uh, that Billy Collins likes in a poem. It starts out pleasant enough. A master makes these major investments in his servants. I mean, what's 
a, you know, a talent is more an, an endowment than it is just a wage in all three cases. And so by leaving, he's demonstrating remarkable trust in their loyalty and good sense. And when he returns, after a long time, the first slave is only all too eager to give an accounting. Uh, just the way it's worded there, it suggests he doesn't just hand over the 10 pounds, it creates a little presentation. Master, you handed over to me five talents. Now picture those, those bags of money from like Looney Tunes uh, ca cartoons. It's always a ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk. Ah, see, I have brought you five more talents. Ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk. Right? He, he's excited. He's pleased with himself. And more importantly, the master is pleased with him. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. And you're, wait, a few things? I mean, this, this, a talent is a lot of money. Apparently, this master is a economic powerhouse. He talks about talents like they're, it, it, it's uh, what you find between couch cushions. It's just pocket change. But anyway, that brings us to the second, uh, uh, to slave number two and his two talents. And he gives an account of himself with the same enthusiasm and flourish as number one. You put me in charge. Two talents. Chunk, ka-chunk. Okay, now close your eyes. Here, ka-chunk, ka-chunk, two more. He is no less pleased with himself than Mr. Five Talents. There's no hint of jealousy or rivalry. Both are pleased with having made much of what they had been given. Both want to celebrate it with their master. And not only is his, is, is his presentation the same as the first, the master's response, exactly the same. There is no less joy when he received the five talents as when he received the two. Now, we were told already that Mr. One Talent did not do what Mr. Five and Mr. Two did with their talents. Rather than going out and turning that one talent into two, he grabbed his talent and a shovel, went for a little walk, returned from that walk with just the shovel. So even as we're celebrating Mr. Five and Mr. Two, we know that this story is about to take a turn. However, before we reflect on that turn, it's worth recognizing that had Mr. One Talent used his one talent to make one more, we would have had a one ka-chunk plus another ka-chunk version of the presentation the others gave. And we can assume that the master would have responded with equal enthusiasm. In other words, the master does not care how much 
you're given. The master cares what you do with what you're given. But it's too late for any of that now. Mr. One Talent has nothing to offer but the talent he was given. But he tries to put some lipstick on this pig, giving a little prologue in the lead up to his big reveal. And it's not to apologize or to express regret, it's to pass blame, blame on the master. You're so demanding and unreasonable. Anyone that knows you like I do would do the same thing. So, <clears throat> drum roll please. Chunk. Just like it was when you gave it to me, except a little dirt. Now what's interesting in the master's response, the master does not contradict Mr. One Talent. He doesn't mention the other servants, what they did, how he responded. Because what we have seen from this master does not support this accusation that uh, Mr. One Talent is giving. So, but, but the master is not uh, attempt, does not attempt to defend himself. It's as if that would give Mr. One Talent too much credit. You can see that the accusation is garbage. Had Mr. One Talent actually believed what he was saying, he just put the money in the bank, made some interest. Wouldn't have paid off like Mr. Five or Mr. Two, but at least it would have been consistent with the claims he was making. Nope, Mr. One Talent claims he buried it out of fear, but we uh, have reason to doubt that. One suspects that Mr. One Talent buried it simply because he didn't care. He wanted nothing to do with the master and the master's money. I mean, the fact is he doesn't squander it on drugs and women or whatever. Uh, what he gives the master is exactly what he was given. So it seems to me, at this point, at least as I read the story, this is where the passenger door opens up and we feel a little bit of a, uh, we feel a foot in our, pushing us out, catching us in the ribs. Because after that, after calling, calling out this guy on his, his ridiculous excuse, Master insists that his talent be taken and given to the guy with 10, the guy who's already rolling in dough. Why is that? Well, Jesus explains. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. A podcast I listened to uh, discussed something called the Landlord's Game, a board game invented by a woman named Lizzie, I think Maggie, that's how you pronounce it. She invented it back in 1903. Uh, eight years earlier, J.P. Morgan had made a sizable enough loan from his personal fortune to, to the U.S. government to make sure that the 
our uh, economy didn't collapse, right? Personally, a personal loan to the US government. And people like Miss Maggie believed that there was something wrong with the system in which one person could possess so much wealth. So she invented the landlord's game because when you played the landlord's game, it was supposed to show you how unregulated capitalism resulted in the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Now, you probably haven't heard of the landlord's game, but a guy named Charles Darrow played the game once, liked it, copied down the rules, and sold it to Parker Brothers as Monopoly. Right. A game where one person gets all the money and everybody else goes bankrupt. So is Jesus here endorsing that sort of system? Unregulated capitalism? A system in which those who have, who have much, get more, and those who have little, even that is taken away? Well, I think what Jesus is saying here applies to economics, uh, but it also applies to so many things. Uh, there was, for a while, I was seeing this uh, therapist, life coach, and he would often say, what you focus on grows. Right? And so what he was encouraging me, working through some family stuff, was like, all right, what's working? Focus on that. Help me, let that grow. And as that grows, the things you're not focusing on well, can, go, can uh, decrease, because the opposite is true. What you neglect shrinks. So the question is, what is it you focus on? What is it that is growing? You, know, you focus on, I mean, part of why we have these uh, why we have this habit of thanksgiving because if you just focus on your troubles those troubles become, they grow, they become overwhelming. But if you focus on the blessings your gratitude grows. So after making this statement Jesus describes what happens to Mr. One Talent and after his one talent is given to Mr. Five, it says he's cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I, that is also a little troubling. Uh, and it's particularly unsettling if we are in the habit, as I think so often uh, we have been taught to read these parables about the kingdom, we've been sort of taught to see these parables as teaching us how we get in, into the kingdom. Uh, it, and so the conclusion that one can draw at that point is like, oh, if we don't do enough for the kingdom, we are going to suffer eternal damnation. But I think it's important to recognize there's a difference between saying this is a parable about the kingdom and this is a parable about how to get into the kingdom. Yeah, there may be implications uh, for about how, what it means to get into the kingdom, but it is not the main point. The main point is the kingdom itself. It's not about what's required to be saved. Um, no, it, it's about what it means to live in the kingdom. And the issue with Mr. One Talent 
is not that he didn't make enough of his talent to earn entry into the kingdom. It's that he had no interest in the kingdom whatsoever. And he he tried to disguise that lack of interest as the fault of the master. You know, enter into the joy of your master's, uh, enter into the joy of your master, or enter into your master's happiness in the NIV. You know, he says that to number five and number two. Well, what, what is the joy of the master? What is the master's happiness? Is it the opportunity to kick back and relax, to lounge by the pool and eat whatever you want without concern for consequences? No. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. That's where the joy is. The joy is in fertile, f- further utilizing your gifts and talents for the flourishing of the master's estate. Uh, in in uh, C.S. Lewis's novel, The Great Divorce, uh, the, the, the novel is, takes you on sort of a bus tour of heaven and hell. And in the, in, in the novel, you know, hell is not some cauldron of fire surrounded by demons and dam- filled with damned souls screaming in agony. You know, in hell, you basically can have some approximation of whatever you want. But what you find in hell is that what the people of hell want most is not to have their own desires intruded upon by anyone else. And so hell is this neighborhood where people seek to live further and further apart. It's not that they're barred from heaven. It's that they have no interest in what heaven is offering. The master gave Mr. One talent, a talent, again, a significant amount of money. He gave him an opportunity to invest himself in meaningful work, an opportunity to cultivate that talent. But he could only see it as a burden, as an imposition. And rather than pleading for mercy, he tries to turn the tables and make the master the problem. You know, I have been here long enough to have seen you steward your talents. I've seen the ways you've invested in this place, in the music, in the maintenance of the place, in tracking finances, keeping budgets, particularly the thoughtfulness and care that you extend one another, making calls, sending cards. And I mention those things because they're the things I've seen. But by mentioning them, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I see them because I know you in this context, from our shared life as a part of this church. But I certainly don't want to suggest that the only way, or even the primary way, that one stewards God's investment in you is in and through the church. Uh, you know, the institutional church. Because this is a parable about the kingdom, not simply about the institutional church. It is not about how you invest yourself in one part of your life, 
but how you invest the whole of your life. It is not about a few things, but about many things. In fact, kingdom work is less about what you do and more about how you do it. You know, I've never been comfortable with the fact that my work is sometimes referred to as a higher calling. Higher than whose? My calling is just a particular calling that requires a particular set of skills and interests. It's like any other calling. That I've made it my calling does not matter. It's how I do it that matters. It's about whether I do it in ways that share in the joy of the master. You may recall uh, that scene from uh, Chariots of Fire, uh, in which Eric Liddell, who was an actual person, is reprimanded by his sister for wanting to run in the 1924 Olympic Games. She feels like he is neglecting his calling, which is to, doing, uh, to do missionary work in China. Eric acknowledges that God has indeed made him for that purpose. And he has this great line. But, he says, God also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To put it in the terms of our passage, when I run, I share in the joy of the master. Not all kingdom work is like that. It's that kind of experience. In fact, I thought about that scene specifically uh, some years ago when I was working in a group home for residents with cognitive disabilities. Specifically, I thought about it uh, about that scene when I was having to bathe this ornery, wheelchaired resident who had just soiled himself. I mean, it was helpful to think that God took pleasure in my efforts, but I did not feel that pleasure myself. It was unpleasant. But there have been other moments, moments in which I get what Liddell's talking about. And I suspect you have as well. Those moments that you know what you're called to do and you are fully invested. Where you not only accomplish the task, you take things to another level. Moments where there's not just a need for someone. No, there's a need for you. Your particular set of skills your particular interests. Now, I hope that when you've had those moments, those who have benefited from them took note of your work and expressed appreciation for what you'd done and how you'd done it. Actually, that is an incredible gift to have, to be someone who notices those sorts of things, who notices when somebody is putting their talents to work and giving appreciation for it. That's a great gift. But it is because it's a great gift because it's so easy for us to get lost in our own little worlds and see only our own little concerns. So it is quite likely 
that you've had those moments where you have invested yourself and used your gifts, and it's gone on unacknowledged. Well, here is a parable to remember in those moments. What you do out of love, what you do with wisdom and skill for the flourishing of the creation and your community, it may go unacknowledged for a little while. But a day is coming where all that will be placed chunk before the master of the house who will say, well done, good and faithful servant. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.